Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. You know what, Jeff? Photo editing is hard. Photo editing is hard. Why do you say this? Because if you look at an app that you use to edit photos these days, you've got sliders and you've got dials and you've got buttons and you've got to choose if you use the machine learning or the AI or the automatic stuff. And it's complicated. It's really complicated. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, we got an email from a listener a little while back and he was asking, why is editing software so complicated? I think you and I sort of put that off because it is. And what can you say about it? Because you either say, uh, yes, it is complicated and that's just how it is. Or we, we dive in and who knows how deep you can go. So I think what we're going to try to do is, is not completely fall into the hole, but try to answer the question. And honestly, I don't know if we're going to have good answers because, you know, why is, why is editing software so complicated? Well, because photography is complicated. Wrong. Now, has it always? Wrong, wrong. What? It's not complicated. If you go back to film photography, uh huh. okay, there's chemistry involved, but it's really easy to learn. You, you have lists of the chemicals and the temperatures and the times. Really easy to develop your film. You put your negative in an enlarger, you print your film. That gets a little more complicated. You, you have things like contrast and aperture you can set and you can dodge and burn, but that's it. You're, you're not really doing all the tweaks. There's, <laughs> there's no layers. There's no, you know, curves and, and levels and, and, whoa, and ISO whoa, and stuff. Whoa. I think you just proved my point because there's no layers. Well, not in the way that we, we see layers now, but you'd have cut out mats that you would actually, you know, cut out and put over parts of the, the um, enlarger, parts of the developer to, to you know, dodge and burn and, and do all that. So, like, it, it could get very complicated. And I think... But dodging and burning isn't complicated. It's not. The, the thing about dodging and burning is you don't see the results. So this is a skill that you build up the, through test prints to know how often, mm. how long you need to do it and which position and all that. It's not that it's complicated. It's it's a it's a thing that you learn to do. It, there's not it's, 75 it's sliders in an enlarger. It's just a skill that you learn. It's like dribbling a basketball, right? You learn how to do it, and that's it. Well, and then okay, so let let's flip that to to uh, editing in software. It's a skill that you learn how to do. But once you've learned it, it doesn't seem complicated because it's something that you've learned. I mean, okay, the, to to step back a second, um, I think everybody who's listening knows that that I have done very minimal amount of film processing and, and developing. Um, like I, I did some way, 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 way back, but I wasn't a photographer when film was dominant. So I don't have that experience. But when you list these things, you have these chemicals and you have... I would imagine you have to make sure that the that the, the, the mixtures are the right amounts. And you have to get the film out. Yeah, but out. hold on, hold on. It's a recipe. No, it's a recipe. It's the same every time. Yes, okay. Right? And that's not the case with photos. So every time you develop your film, you, you got whatever chemicals, you got your stop bath, you got your fixer, you got your times and everything, and it's always the same. Okay. 
That's always the same for every kind of film that you shoot. No, for for black and white, it's always the same. For color, it's always the same. Different film stocks might have different things, but you're not going through 10 variables. See? No, you're not. It's not. It's a recipe. <laughs> it's like yes, making it, a sauce. It's not like making bread. It's like making a sauce. You have three or four ingredients and time. I think you're massively simplifying this in your brain because it sounds like if I have one type of film, then I need this recipe. And if I have another type of film, I need this recipe. And you need to make sure that you time it correctly. And you have to make sure that, um, you know, you... But the recipe is always the same. Whereas when we're editing digitally, generally, the edits are different mm -hmm. for every photo. Now, of course, there's an exception because let's say you're a professional wedding photographer. You want to color grade your photos. So you are doing batch editing for some sorts of things. But in general, editing is different for every photo. When you're developing film, you're developing a whole roll of film mm -hmm. with this recipe, and then it's done. Talk to anyone who develops film. It's the easy part. It's just time-consuming, and it's chemicals that can probably kill you, but it's the easy <laughs> part. Printing is, more okay. of a, printing is more of an art. Good printing is a real art. Yeah. Well, no argument there. But I think uh, we need to, to, to shift the goalposts here a little bit because, um, all right, let's say that, that- Lots of sports metaphors going on here. I know. And, and I'm so sportsy, right? <laughs> let's, let's shift the goalposts so that we get a home run. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, listeners. Um, okay. You're talking about developing, which sounds fairly complicated to me, but I didn't do it. So it's, it's, I'll, I'll, I'll give that. The, the digital analog to that is uh, is actually, you're right, very simple because that section of it is you're taking the data from your camera and you're bringing it into your computer. And the computer is handling the quote-unquote developing. So, like, it's doing the demosaicing of raw files or it the, the process of making a JPEG look good has already been handled in the camera. And then you can do stuff on top of that. So that's... I think that's equal in terms of analog and digital from 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 the the developing side. It depends on the software because if you look at something where the developing module is not part of the overall editing process, like Affinity Photo, like Adobe Camera Raw, mm, you've got to make yeah. all these decisions okay. for exposure and contrast and and highlights and shadows in the development module before you go on to edit. Okay, but that is a good point. Uh, Thank you, but. One for me. <laughs> Two for me, actually, because film developing is a recipe. It's always the same. Film developing. All right. But software developing can also be a recipe if you have, like you said, people who, who color grade their, their photos. Like that's, that's what presets are all about. So you have a recipe that it's going to take your photos and assuming that your photos are uh, generally uniform. Let's say you've shot an event, so the the lighting is is pretty much the same, etc. Then you can apply this preset, and then you're done. So, but that's cheating. So editing is easy, is what we're saying. Well, so so digital <laughs> kind of, editing yeah. has the easy and the complicated, right? And yeah, yeah. it's so complicated that the easy way is really popular. Whether the easy is straight out of camera and the popularity of Fujifilm's film simulations or presets, filters, looks, whatever they call them in, in apps, 
These are popular because people don't want to go through 75 sliders and dials and buttons and switches, and they'd rather just click a few things and find, this looks good enough for me, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm not sure that we should equate that with photo editing. That's like you send your photos off to be developed and you get the prints back in that yellow Kodak envelope Mm -hmm. and you get what you get, right? Yeah. Now, obviously, you have more options than you do with film or than you you did with film. With film, you might choose a particular film stock because you like it. With these filters, you can make your pictures look like Tri-X or Kodachrome or Ektachrome or whatever you want. So you do have options. That is the easy way. But when you look at some of these apps with hundreds and hundreds of presets and filters and styles and whatever, I don't think it's that simple. Okay. So this ties back to the first thing that I said that you pushed back on, which was, um, I said, photography is complicated. And you said, no, it's not. I think that you get into the software and photography now, as we treat it, because it's digital, is complicated because you have so many options. So yes, you absolutely can take a preset. Or I think maybe a better analogy is in every one of these software applications that we use, there's some sort of auto function. So something where it will evaluate your image and figure out what needs to be done in terms of tone and color. And then if you want to do things with, say, you know, clarity or you want to mix the colors up or, you know, add like a a, a specific cue or something like that, then you can do that. So photography now is very complicated, even if the, the actual capture and bringing those images into your computer is relatively simple. Yes, that part's relatively easy. You push the button, you put the card in your computer, and that part's easy. But yeah. what we're seeing in photo editing apps is a plethora of features that never existed for analog photography. The idea of adjusting highlights and shadows could use filters on enlargers, but they, you know, they would affect the entire photo. They weren't selective. The ability to replace a sky, the ability to um, select someone's face and apply some sort of adjustment to the skin tones, uh, gradients, things like that. These were, I once saw an exhibit in Paris in the late 1980s of doctored photographs. Most of them were Soviet, right? Of like, pre-Photoshop, well, this is actually pre-Photoshop in the late 1980s, of people being cut out of photos and bits being replaced. So they would cut the photos and then take a photo of the pieces cut together, right, to make it look like a photo. And these were crude techniques, but the kind of things you can do now with photo editing tools goes way beyond what you can do with film. Yes. And this is also, I think, partly why film has gotten popular again, because it does have that simplicity. It does say, let's avoid all the trickery and let's go back to something more normal, more a, a workflow. Genuine. Genuine, authentic, maybe. Uh-huh. I'm grudgingly agreeing with you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so uh, I hate to be all, all uh, cliche, but, you know, like with great power comes great responsibility in the sense that. Um, well, oh, hang on. Let me. Okay, let's put it this step. way. Okay. You've made a lot of money writing books telling people how to use these apps. So you want them to continue. 
<laughs> that's that's right. Make everything as complicated as possible. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think some of this has has shifted back and forth between the capture and and the editing because and and this is something that I find myself doing when I'm shooting. And I think it's because I know how to use this software and because I know what is capable when I shoot, I often shoot knowing that I can fix some sort of fault or I I know what I can do with it later. So for example, if I am shooting an event and there's not a lot of light. I know that I can go in and run it through like DxO Pure Raw to get rid of the noise and I can boost the shadows and I can do all sorts of things like that. I can, you know, mask people in the foreground. So, oh, and also knowing that I have a camera that will capture enough data that allows me to do that. So that changes how I shoot. Now, I think if there were not as many options on the editing side, if you really were in a situation, I want to say like in the early days of digital, but I think even then things were were more quote unquote complicated like we're talking now. But if I didn't have those options, then my focus would definitely be more on getting it right in camera. And I know that we should always strive to get it right in camera, but sometimes it's just not possible. Or it, it's, it's, you know, close enough that you know that you can reframe or you can do a few little tweaks here and there. So I think that the complication has shifted a little bit from the capture side of it to the editing side, just knowing that that's possible. We talked about this in episode 129, visualizing the edit, when we were examining the fact that we may be shooting pictures knowing what our camera is capable of. and. I had an example of something that I drastically underexposed because I was using my Leica Q2 monochrome at the time, and I knew how the camera reacted. Now, I wouldn't do that with film. With film, you have a meter. The cameras I had, the Olympus cameras I had, it had a little needle, and it would go up and down uh, on the side of the frame, and you want it to be somewhere around the center. Because it knew what the sensitivity of the film was, and basically you got what you got. Now, you could underexpose, and then you could push process, which means that you process it at a different ASA or ISO than what the film says, or you can expose more than an enlarger. But generally, you didn't do that. You thought more about composition. One basic thing that you didn't really do back then, unless you had your own enlarger, most people didn't, right? Most people just right. sent the films out. You didn't crop your photos. You composed in camera and Unless you were using an enlarger, you would not crop your photos. You'd get them as they were. Okay, maybe you'd take a pair of scissors and you'd cut someone off when you got divorced, that kind of thing. But, <laughs> but generally, you did not crop photos. You didn't straighten them if they weren't aligned. You accepted them as they were. And maybe part of the difference is we're looking for more perfection. And hmm. we want to get everything tweaked just exactly right. And that's leading us to to need to use tools that go beyond most people's capabilities and that are hard to learn and that yes you can learn how to use you know certain adjustments you can learn how to use levels and curves not easy but takes a little bit of time you can learn how to use layers and and dodging and burning but this gets really advanced and what what it comes down to me is 
I was talking to someone the other day. I bought an Xbox in January. First time I've ever had a game console. And I've been playing a few games, and I was talking to someone um, about Microsoft Flight Simulator, which is incredibly realistic. And I was saying how hard it is to learn how to use it. And this person said to me, when I play a game, I want to play. I don't want to work. And it's that feeling. And, and I gave up after like lesson 17 and the thing about how to use it because it's just too much. And that's the feeling I have sometimes. Now, I know that there are people who like to spend that time editing. Oh, yeah. That, that it's, it's a real flow state that you're getting, trying to get everything perfect. But a lot of people don't want to do that. And they want to be able to take photos, make minor adjustments, and get what they want that's good enough. Yeah. That brings up a really good point that I'm sure we've mentioned before. But I think we, we have to acknowledge that there's a distinction between um, – there's a distinction among photographers. Like I think that we, we have an idea of what a photographer is based on you know our own preferences but also in seeing other people. But the reality, of course, is that there are some people who they are there to shoot. They want to go out. They want to you know, do everything in camera. They, they want to use all the features of their camera, like, like that's the thing. And I think there are some people who they really get excited about what they can do in Photoshop or Lightroom or any of these things. Like for them, having some sort of raw material to work with, like they have to go and shoot some pictures, but the editing part, that's, that's what really excites them. So I think that's, that's definitely something that, that comes into play here. But also, I can't, I can't discount the fact that we have complicated editing software that has a lot of different features because these are programs by companies that need to continue to sell the programs. And therefore, it's hard to, to figure out that balance between, do I really need clarity and texture sliders? Or is this a competitive advantage over some other company's software? And you can make arguments for both. I've definitely improved photos using clarity, and I've destroyed photos using too much clarity. <laughs> you know, that's, that's also part of it. But because digital is so malleable, I think they can do a lot of these things, a lot of extra... Uh, features or or maybe you know smaller iterations of it features like in in Photomator there's a selective clarity tool that I don't see in hardly any other other program which is very cool but it's also that matter of we need to create software that's going to make someone buy ours instead of theirs and ours can do something different or can do more so the b word the b word Quote. Okay. Oh. Bloat. Microsoft Word, the perfect example of bloat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, understandably, Microsoft Word is designed for college students, individuals, and professionals in business. So it has to have mm-hmm. all these features for everyone. But most people never use any of them. And I bet most people that use Lightroom don't use too many of the advanced features either. They are just they're just stuck into that Adobe industrial complex mm-hmm. and they're paying their 10 bucks a month and they can't get out forever. Yeah. Well, actually, this is really curious because I think we're also seeing the opposite of that because you take a look at something like like Photoshop or Pixelmator Pro. They have 
massive numbers of features. There are so many things you can do, more than I think most people ever take advantage of. But for the small niche of people that really need to do this specialized thing, it's there and it's good. But they recognize that it's overkill for a lot of people. So what do they do? Adobe creates Lightroom, very photography, photographer-specific focused app that gets rid of a whole lot of stuff in Photoshop. No layers, nothing like that. No 3D, etc. So that you can just focus on what a photographer would need to do. And we've seen that this year, Pixelmator Pro, very complicated, but as a photographer, do you need to make uh, you know, vector lines and shapes and things like that. No, you don't. So they come out with Photomator, which, you know, still has a lot of complication, but is more focused on what you as a photographer would need because you are probably looking at uh, Pixelmator Pro or Photoshop and thinking, that's too much. And I'm not going to spend the money for something that I'm only going to use 10% of. And so this leads a lot of people to use Apple Photos, which is actually quite capable for the basic photo editing mm -hmm. or some other simple photo app and not try to do more because they don't need to do more. And if you're curious and you want to do more, then you can seek out other things. But it's almost as if it's the problem with a lot of software that has to be both for professionals and amateurs. And it, you can't balance both easily. And there are a lot of people who use photos professionally for graphics, web designers, uh, people in printing and press and publishing in all sorts of domains. So there are lots of people who use these tools around the world. But photographers, amateur hobbyist photographers, don't use them, don't need them, and probably shouldn't even bother to try and learn the advanced features until they've mastered all the basics. Yeah, I can see an argument for that. I can also see an argument for wanting to learn beyond that just to see what you're capable of or what type, you know, what other types of photos you can you can work with. One interesting thing that happened a few years ago, um Skylum, the makers of Luminar, they came out with uh I want to say I can't remember the title of the app, but um Lemur or something like that. Yeah. It was sort of the answer to the question that we're asking is, what if you don't want to do any of that other stuff? What if you want to just have an app that just makes your, your photos better? And literally, it was all AI-based, and it was like a big auto button. You run it through, and maybe it gives you like two or three options for maybe you want this as a darker or a lighter version of what you shot. And that was it. And it was... Yeah, it was, it was a window and you would drag your files onto it and it would churn a bit and then spit out the results. I don't think there were many options at all, if any. Mm -mm. Um, but no, no. as you say, it's a big auto button and you get that already in uh, Apple Photos if you just want the auto. And it's not always perfect, but it's often an improvement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, and, and actually, I'm going to put another plug for photos. Something that I still rarely see is on the computer... They've got that great little exposure bar that um, is basically like an auto version of exposure. I think there's one for color and saturation, but it just lets you slide it to make something darker or lighter, but it's doing it in an intelligent way, 
which it's affecting exposure and contrast and highlights and brightness and six or seven different things together. Yeah. So you actually get some version of advanced processing without actually having to know what all the sliders underneath it do and how they affect things. So that's that's actually a really good thing. And I mean, I think that also answers the question of because Apple is always so focused on the fact that they have to cater to millions and millions of people who shoot all types of things, they tend to do a pretty good job of walking that line of making something friendly and uh, accessible without trying to go into all the complications that Lightroom and Photoshop and all of those go into. I think for the most part, Apple ignores people who aren't using iPhones. The Photos app and previously iPhotos were usable and are usable by people who are using quote-unquote real cameras, but they're just assuming that it's for iPhone photographers. They made Aperture, which was for others, and then they abandoned mm -hmm. it. Um, the yep. Photos app is really designed for photos from the iPhone, not much else. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And not to say you can't edit photos otherwise, but the one thing I find interesting is that there are so few preset filter type things in Apple products is what, 8, 10, 12 at the most? Maybe not even that. Yeah, they're really, really limited. I'm surprised Apple hasn't done more. Yeah. I guess they don't like that idea of muddying the water and making things that are going to be too gaudy because then, oh, this is an iPhone photo. Look at that. It's ugly. They don't want that. Yeah. Well, I think that they are also letting other companies handle that because the Photos app actually has a really good plug-in architecture so that you can go and if you want something that is going to make all your photos sparkly or whatever, there's an app for that that will plug into it. On the Mac. Quite well. Not on the iPhone or iPad. On the Mac. Right. Yeah. Okay. So before we started, you were wondering, is there enough to say in a half hour? As we often say before <laughs> we start an episode, and here we go. We're getting up here and we it's are. time for our snapshots. Have you got a snapshot this week? I do have a snapshot. It's not something I've actually used. It's, it was actually just announced today, but it's a new drone. It's a DJI Air 3. And what I like about this, and I think if I was in the market to buy a new camera drone, which I'm not, but this would sort of hit every sweet spot for my uses because it's small, it's compact. I have a DJI Mini 2. And um, if you'll go back to our previous episodes, like when I went uh, on my Europe trip last year, I was able to pack it in my bag. It's super tiny. And the Air 3 has two cameras. It's compact. It has a lot of obstacle avoidance. And I think the most important thing is the cameras have better lenses and better sensors. So they are going to create better images. Um, it's not cheap. It's uh, $1,000. Well, it's $1,100. And um, if you get it with like a better controller, it's like $1,500. But for this type of thing, it's actually not badly priced. Um, it's not really in my, my market. And like I said, it's not something that I need right now. But if I needed to go, let's say I was going to go do a really long trip where I was definitely going to be shooting a lot of aerial uh, footage and photos, this would be the thing that I try. This would be the one that I get. Kirk, how about you? I'm going to revise a snapshot that I Ooh. mentioned uh, 
couple months ago. Uh, the Peak Design Micro Clutch is a device that has a bottom plate that screws to the bottom of your camera and then a kind of a loop that goes around the side that you use, that your fingers go into and that you use kind of as a hand grip. And I got this about 10 days ago, and it's unusable. Huh. Um, I've been looking at the reviews on the Peak Design website, and a lot of people are saying the same things. If you have large hands, you can only put two fingers in it, and it forces your hand in a position that's too straight to really get your f- finger on the shutter, whereas your, your hand should be on a bit of an angle the way you normally hold it. It was It's very disappointing, and so they claim to have tested it with a whole bunch of cameras. Uh, one thing that they did that surprised me is that the, so there's a screw that goes into the tripod mount on the bottom of the camera, and then there's a plate that you tighten. And if you loosen the screw, you can slide the plate and pull it off. But the screw gets in the way of the SD card hatch on a Leica Q2 or Q3. And they said that they had tested it with the Q3, and they said, well, the Q3 is different than the Q2. It's not. I had both at the same time. Uh, next to each other, and it's not. So you had to take the screw out to get the SD card out. The concept is good. I think it really depends on the camera and the size of your hand. So um, we'll put a link in the show notes to the the Peak Design website talking about this. You'll read some of the reviews, and they're very good about it. They said, well, send it back. We'll refund you. They have no problem. It was disappointing because it sounded really good, but it's just, I think, particularly large hands where you can only fit two fingers into the thing makes it a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. That would definitely be something that you'd want to try beforehand if that was even a possibility. Well, I bought it on the Kickstarter where they introduced right. a lot of new products and they're fine with the return. It cost me a few pounds to send it back, but they refunded me immediately. Um, so it's not a problem. But just a warning, if anyone's thinking about buying this um, and you have large hands, be prepared for it to not work. It has to be tight. The whole point is that you have to hold it tight so you can't drop it. They're selling this as something so you'll never drop your camera again. But if it's tight, you get very little movement in your hand. So it's it's really a personal thing, the variable of the hand size and the camera. Okay, that's enough for this week. Until next time, Jeff. Take care. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app.